what is critical race theory? Mm. I don't know. You tell me. Well, that's what we're going to be talking about today on Defend and Confirm podcast. You're I'm, Russell. I'm Russell. You're Sean. That's right. And uh, we're going to unpack this very controversial, confusing subject. And in this episode, we're just going to outline what critical race theory is. Yeah. So we've talked a lot about what critical theory is, mm-hmm. contemporary critical theory, also sometimes called just capital T theory right. in the academic world. Applied theory, whatever. This is a very specific application of some of those same ideas yeah. to race. Right. And it is a very, it's a uniquely American ideology. Uh, Which interestingly, through the Black Lives Matter protests surrounding George Floyd, has actually spread into parts of the world where it 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 makes even less sense. It's true. Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about the development of this ideology through history, okay, and the sort of the different strains that came together to make it happen. But not today. We're going to talk about that next episode. Okay. Uh, we're also not going to be critiquing critical race theory. We mm. may add a little bit of commentary here and there, but but the main goal of this episode is to give you the bare bones sort of least common denominator of what critical race theory is. When, when I talk to people about critical race theory, I think half the conversation is trying to make sure that we agree on terms. Exactly. And a big part of that is because there's a lot of obfuscation through redefinition. Okay, well, that goes I'm going to need you to use a different word. <laughs> there's a lot of terms that you and I might share an understanding of that when critical race theorists use those same words, mm-hmm. they mean completely different things. That's right. And so we're going to talk about that. We're also, we have to recognize that like all of these ideas, critical race theory and its components exist sort of on a spectrum. Yeah. So you may have some critical race theories that have a little bit different understanding of standpoint epistemology sure, uh, and vice versa. And so we're trying to give you uh, the most condensed, most sort of normal, orthodox version of critical race theory that we can. And having surveyed the huge quantity of, of variants out there, we've landed on six basic tenets okay. that define critical race theory. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready, man. Let's do it. So number one, <clears throat> tenet one, mm. racism is a central, permanent, and normal part of U.S. society today. Now, you chose each one of those words intentionally. That's central? A, it's actually a quote. Ooh, okay. Who's it from? Uh, it's from a, it's actually a paper designed to find the core tenets of critical race theory from the vast survey ah, of literature okay. out there. Gotcha. Uh, and they use this language really to capture what I think is the most important and most foundational assumption of critical race theory. Okay. That's why I did it first. Okay. So racism, normative. So if you if you tune out for everything else, yeah. pay attention to this. Racism is normative. It's, it's baked into U.S. society. Okay. Now, if it's endemic like this, you might say, well how come we don't see it everywhere? Mm-hmm. Like if I just picked you up off the street and said, hey, what, what racism have you encountered today? Mm-hmm. You might say, well, I haven't seen any racism. Well, critical theory says that this racism can't always be easily recognized. It's yeah. always there, but particularly as lighter skinned people, um, we don't see it. And critical race theory is sort of the lens that helps pull back the veil and helps us see what's really there in mm-hmm. everyday life. Yeah. Now, part of the way that this gets misunderstood is that critical race theory uses a wildly different definition of racism compared to what we might call the classical definition of racism. Yeah. So let's go back to like pre-1990. Okay. Imagine I ask you the question, what is racism? What, what kind of definition would you expect 
to uh, give me? I think I probably would have said the idea that someone is superior because of the color of their skin or some other physical characteristic connected to their race. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, your your attributes as a person are linked to your genetics and your skin color. Yeah. Uh, this that could is, even involve intelligence and other things like that. Yeah. Exactly. So that's classically how we would view racism. Right. Um, you know, the, the Darwinian evolution theory of, of racism is that your dark skin signifies some delineation in the human evolution and you are inferior genetically to yeah. me as a white person. That would be classic racism. Yeah. Well, critical race theory says, no, 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 that's not really what racism is. That's mm. part of racism. Racism is racial prejudice. Plus power. Plus institutional power. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, David Wellman, who's written on this, defines racism as a system of privilege based on race. And so those, those are two ways of sort of saying the same thing. Okay. And when you have a definition of racism like this, you can make some claims that might sound kind of wild if you don't share that definition. So for example... Uh, the idea that white people are racist simply by virtue of being white. Mm -hmm. That's where this comes from. Or if you flip that the other way around, the idea that black people cannot themselves be racist. Right, because they don't have access to the institutional power. Yeah, there's a, there was a uh, fairly popular movie in, the I think, 2014 called Dear White People. Yeah, that's right. Uh, one of the quotes from that film, racism describes a system of disadvantage based on race. Black people can't be racist since we don't stand to benefit from such a uh, system. I still remember the first time I encountered this idea. I was having a conversation with a black brother at a church that I was a member of, and I was in Atlanta. And Atlanta's a fun place to live. And I was at a diner, and a black dude in the diner got mad at me, and he called me uh, a cracker and then some other words I can't say. And I was having this conversation with this brother, and I brought that up, and I said, do you think that that man was being racist towards me in that moment, that black man towards me, whatever ethnicity I am, right? <laughs> And he said, no. I said, no. And he said, yeah, because you, you have power. He doesn't have any power, so right. it can't be racist. So right. that, that's the critical theory understanding of racism. Yeah. And, and that's where a lot of these conversations among evangelicals fall apart, is, that, is not starting with definitions like mm -hmm. this. And so right. to hear someone say, well, he's black, he can't be racist, we might hear as he's black, therefore he can't have racial prejudice. Mm -hmm. That's not what critical race theory is saying. Right. Uh, they're just defining racism in such a way that you have to have status as part of this oppressor group yeah. in order to have racism or racist tendencies. Yeah. So in other words, the crux of whether something is racist or not racist is where you fall in this social binary. Mm. So we're going back now to the capital T theory idea of right. social binary that society is best understood as a relationship between oppressor and oppressee. Mm -hmm. And now critical race theory is just applying skin color to that and saying that if you are part of the oppressee group, the oppressed, you can't be racist. Right. Because race, uh, racism has much more to do with power than it does with any sort of ideology about genetics or racial superiority, uh, so on and so forth. Gotcha. Tenant number two. So we're, just to be clear, just so everyone remembers again, we're just telling you what the tenets are. We're not yes. critiquing them. We're going to do that in a later episode. That's right. Okay. Tenant number two. So critical race theory makes a point to critique classical liberalism. So these are the ideas that not, not like political liberalism. I'm about to say, Russell, you know I ain't no liberal. We're using the word uh, as it used to be used, which right. was this, this ideology, it was a political ideology that emphasized uh, neutrality, objectivity, rationalism, and uh, f freedom, 
uh, equality. These are the foundational principles upon which our nation was founded. Yeah. And part of the way classical liberalism manifest in the civil rights movement was an emphasis on things like colorblindness. Mm -hmm. Uh, Separate but uh, equal was challenged as not truly equal. And so classical liberalism said in order for things to be right and just, and in order for racial reconciliation to happen, we need equality of opportunity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, critical race theory says that this is actually just all smokescreen. Okay. All of these ideas are part of a system designed to ensure that white supremacy will endure and it camouflages the issues and in fact does more harm than good. So you, you, you're championing equality in order to what? In order to reduce equality or to maintain the status quo where there is no true equality? Right. So critical race theory would say that at best classical liberalism is inadequate to solve the problems of racial reconciliation in in our country. And at worst that they would say, you know, going back to our previous episodes, classical liberal ideas, things like colorblindness, things like equality of opportunity, Mm -hmm. things like meritocracy, all of these ideas are actually part of a white European Christian hegemony that Mm -hmm. is by design intended to suppress people and oppress people of dark skin color. Got it. So again, if you go back and listen to our episodes on critical theory and what the critique of hegemony was, you know, Gramsci and the neo-Marxists, they all talked about this. Um, Critical race theory says this is how white supremacy is perpetuated in a society. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of like in disguise. Yeah, and you'll see this even if you engage in an argument or a discussion with a brother or sister where you, uh, and we've talked about this, I've had interactions with people where I start to talk about objective evidence, mm-hmm. statistics. Yep. And I'm told that the reliance on facts and mm-hmm. statistics and rational argument yeah. is a tool of white supremacy. That's right. This brings us to tenant number three, the centrality of experiential knowledge. Which sounds an awful lot like standpoint epistemology. That's right, it is. So if you go back and listen to our previous critiques of critical theory in general, standpoint epistemology is a way of knowing things that developed with radical feminism in the 70s. And it is used uh, very, very frequently by critical race theory as sort of their epistemic ground. It's how they know the things they know. Okay. It's how they base everything. It's the way they justify the claims that they're making. Okay. Now, uh, the way that we've talked about this in the past still applies here, which is to say that standpoint epistemology is not entirely false. Right. And and it really depends on what flavor of the spectrum of standpoint epistemology you're dealing with. Right. So, uh, for example, here's a quote. Critical race theory recognizes that experiential knowledge of people of color is legitimate. We would agree with that. Okay. Uh, it's appropriate. Sure. Yeah, sure. And it can be. Cr- critical to understanding, analyzing, and teaching about racial subordination. It certainly shouldn't be disregarded. Yeah, exactly. And so we would say that your individual experience is uh, one of the ways that you do understand the world. Mm, yeah. And it should be listened to and considered and weighed along with other sources of knowledge. Right. Now, the problem is when standpoint theory uh, becomes less nuanced and starts to become a tool for bludgeoning people into accepting ideas regardless of alternative evidence or conflicting yeah. evidence. Now, when you say the problem is, it sounds it sounds eerily like you're going into critique. It, yeah, you're right. Okay, okay, here we go. So we're going to back up a little bit. Back so standpoint theory says that those in oppressed classes 
either have unique access to truth. Okay. So this would be one end of the, the yeah, spectrum. Right. Or they just have an epistemic advantage, mm, which means okay. that they tend to see things more accurately than people who are not among the oppressed. Okay. And so that's that's still close to that end of the spectrum. Yeah. Others would say that standpoint theory is, is really just saying that your unique experience should be considered and weighed when you discuss things like race. The only problem is that's not really standpoint theory. It, it's not. And not only is it not standpoint theory, that's not how it is used in popular discourse. That's right. So yeah. popular discourse ends up with critical race theory teaching us that white people need to implicitly trust and accept whatever testimony that they hear from black people on the subject of oppression or anybody with different skin tone, anybody who's a racial minority. That's right. And yeah. a good example of this uh, would be advice given to whites uh, by one author says, this is the advice he gives to whites. Believe your black friends, listen, be open to being wrong and get over yourself. Mm -hmm. and, and again, that's a mix of what sounds reasonable, you know, sure. be open to being wrong. That's right. totally reasonable of course. with, believe your black friends. It just sounds like believe all women. Exactly. You know. and, and this wouldn't be bad advice if it was more balanced and it went both ways, but it's sure. in common discourse. It's used to silence anything that contradicts the critical race theory narrative right? and to implicitly trust anything that is going along with it. Okay. Got it. So, uh, tenant number four, moving right along. Moving right along. Critical race theory. You're really carrying this, by the way. Well, thank you. You're doing great. Critical race theory recognizes something called interest convergence. I think I just signed up for a savings account that has a very high interest <laughs> convergence. So so uh, you're right. I've been carrying this. Why don't you tell our listeners what interest convergence is? Oh, I don't feel like I'm, I'm capable of doing that. Wait, hold on. Wait, I got this. You ready? Interest convergence is the process <laughs> whereby the white power structure will tolerate or encourage racial advances for blacks only when they promote white self-interest. Okay, so let me just kind of break that down a little bit. Basically, any attempt that you see, anytime you see white people trying to do something to advance the, the, the black cause or the brown cause... They're actually only doing that for selfish, self-centered reasons. And really to perpetuate white supremacy. That's right. And so this idea originates with a guy named Derek Bell, who is arguably one of the the, the strongest influences in the development of critical race theory. I'm, I'm pretty sure I would consider him the the first generation founder. Kimberly, uh, Kimberly Crenshaw comes along, yeah. and, but I think he's pretty much agreed upon as the founder. Well, he gives a great example of this. Okay. He critiqued the landmark Supreme Court case of Brown versus Board of Education, not as a victory for civil rights. This is the desegregation of schools. Right. Uh, but actually as a way, a political move where the white oppressing class was responding to criticism from communist China and Soviet Union who'd begun to circulate propaganda criticizing the United States for segregating schools. Yeah. And this was just their way of saving face, uh, mm. that they had no interest in actually helping people of color. Uh, and that this was purely driven by self-interest. So we only desegregated the schools because the commies were using we're, it against they us. They were ragging on us. Oh, yeah. man. Okay. And, and what we see here, I think, is another, uh, to, to point back to the historical origins of these things, subjects we've talked about already, this is really just a new flavor of Marx's conflict theory. Okay. Where you have this radical skepticism uh, and pessimism in your view of society, that that society is fundamentally just a war of oppressor and and the oppressed, mm -hmm. and that there is no harmony and there is no give and take and there is no mutual benefit. You're either acting in your own self interest or you're not acting. Right. So tenant five. 
Almost right along. Okay. Critical race theory teaches that race has been constructed socially. This is this is a hallmark of the critical race theory ideology. Now, what this means is they will argue that the very concept of race is a political tool. It's something we invented as the white oppressing class to dominate other groups, to dehumanize them and to take advantage of them. But Russell, didn't we invent race? Yeah, and this is another one where there's actually a a slight overlap where we would say they've almost got this right. Okay. Uh, In that, let's look at the the word race. Okay. In the Bible, do we see that word anywhere? No, you see ethnos. Right. We would say that there's one human race. Yeah. We would say that we are all, uh, you know, we're all created by God in his yeah. image from the same material, from the same lineage. Yeah. And that though we have different skin colors, that is a very shallow measure of our humanity. Yeah. And that the idea of us being different races actually comes from what we mentioned earlier. It's that colonial era idea of Darwinian evolution Mm -hmm. that in many ways was used to justify the chattel slavery we saw in in that time period. And so the, the notion that this is a, you know, that we used to call it the Negro race and the white race. Yeah. That was very much a social construct used to justify sin. Right. However, through a biblical lens, we would look at that and say, that's absolutely wrong. We are all one race, and this color of our skin, it, it really is only skin deep. That's Just, right. And classical liberalism, building on the Christian worldview, would say the same thing. Yeah. Classical liberalism said race shouldn't matter. We should be colorblind mm-hmm. as far as race goes so that we treat people equally. Yeah. Uh, and based on the, as Martin Luther King said, the quality of their character. That's right. And so critical race theory, you would think, might arrive at that same conclusion. But it doesn't. It doesn't. Ironically, critical race theory, though they recognize race as a social construct, does the opposite. Through the concept of intersectionality, they make race the most important identifier of who you are as a person. So what they say is uh, race is not real. It's not an objective reality. It's a reality that we've created. Nevertheless, it is the way that we can secure power. So rather than running away from it, we're going to embrace it so that we can invert this power structure. It's the way that you know whether you're the oppressor or the oppressed. That's right. And so it can't be ignored. Can't be abandoned. And so because they don't associate it specifically with skin color, but with this oppressor and oppressed relationship, this is where you get some really strange uses of language that again, really disrupt productive discourse. For example. So for example, uh, you have articles in the news about Kanye West no longer being black because he comes out as a conservative Mm. or Joe Biden saying you ain't black if you don't vote for me. That's right. Uh, Or all of these articles in the last 10 years that have started being addressed to white evangelicals. Mm. You're just the use of these broad labels to describe people. And when you read that, you get the sense that they're not really just talking about skin color, right? What they're talking about is a monolith of cultural values and of sexual groups and of status in society through this dynamic of oppressed and oppressor. Mm -hmm. And your skin color is actually really not the determining factor there. Mm. Uh, Ask any black conservative if they've experienced this and and you'll hear from them. Yeah, I've been called an Uncle Tom and and white on the inside. and, um, and, And it's so it is ironic that while they recognize correctly that race is a social construct, that they do a one, we're critiquing here. Yeah, it's hard to. Whoops. Uh, yeah. But but they they 
they drive right into it. Yeah, that's right. So tenant number six, this is our last one. Last one. All right. We got this. Critical race theory emphasizes a commitment to social justice. I feel like we've already done this episode. We kind of have. And, and and this is what's important to understand is that so much of this comes from capital T theory, from, yeah. from contemporary critical theory. And so you're going to see a lot of overlap. And yet there are some some differences. Now, this commitment to social justice is not different. This is where we see um, this liberatory, transformative response within a society based on racial, gender, and class oppression. And in particular, in, in this instance, critical race theory focuses in on race. Uh, critical race theory, because it's postmodernism applied. Mm-hmm. Seeks, Which we'll talk about more in a later episode. And we did in a previous episode to some extent. Yeah, we did. So yeah. if that's not ringing any bells with you, go back and listen to that. Yeah. It seeks to change society. Right. It seeks to do something to, as you said, flip the dynamic to make the oppressed no longer at the bottom and to put them on top. Right. And in many ways, oppress those who are currently the oppressor. That's right. Uh, and so this is where critical race theory is no longer able to be described as sort of a analytical tool or a social science because it's not just looking at society and describing what it sees. Right. It's actually making prescriptions. Yeah. It's saying here's what things ought to be. And in that way, it's very much like a religion. That's right. It's giving us an ethical norm that we should strive toward. Here is the good. Here is how the good has been ruined by sin. Here's your path to atonement for that sin. And here will be the state of utopia once that atonement has been carried out. That's right. And so I hope that by understanding these tenets, when you think about critical race theory, when you discuss this with others, you'll be better prepared to see where those you know, those landmines are where you're not using the same terms and also to prevent you from straw manning critical race. Theory. Yeah, that's right. There's nothing good that's going to come from attacking ideas that your your brothers and sisters who might be sympathetic to critical race theory don't believe. Yeah. Uh, and so we want to have a good understanding of what this is. And in our next two episodes, uh, we're going to go over the history and the ideological development of critical race theory, which as boring as it sounds is actually really important to Super important, what yeah. will come next, which is our critique of critical race theory. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, brother, you did an excellent job on this episode. Looking forward to coming back and doing doing the next two. That's all I wanted to hear. <laughs> I live for those little pats on the back from you. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Signing off for the Defend and Confirm podcast, I'm Sean. I'm Russell. Thank you for listening.